Hello and welcome to Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers with ALEAF ISD, and I want to thank everyone for joining our, our episode today. Uh, today's topic is going to be one of, of, uh, of interest. I will, I will guarantee you there's about 47,000 students in ALEAF that are going to be interested in this topic. But uh, to the general population and to the general public, um, the, the discussion we're going to have uh, today is, is, is going to be hope, hopefully interesting, but also uh, educational because there's a lot that goes on with this. We're going to talk today about nutrition and, and how uh, ALEAF ISD feeds their, our students and, and all that goes into that. So uh, we, can all, we can all remember back when we were in school when we went to lunch and some of us have fond memories of that, and some of us don't have fond memories of that. Although I will say this, the, the school roles, I mentioned this yesterday, the, the school roles have always been awesome. I don't know what the magic formula there is. But anyway, I'm joined by three ladies uh, in our nutrition department today, and I'm going uh, to let them introduce themselves real briefly. Uh, but we have uh, Heather Hayes-Ramirez, of our, she's our director of nutrition and uh, Heather, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. We have Veronica White. We have Veronica, who's a director, assistant and director of nutrition, and she kind of operates the place. So, Veronica, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And last but certainly not least, the lady that controls the purse strings and all the money that goes into it. Anitra, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. So we're going to start this off. This, is, this conversation is going to be, and it is a conversation, um, this is going to be about the, the all the... the uh, the ins and the outs and what, what it takes to feed 47,000 children two, three times a day for, uh, for nine months out of the school year. So with that, uh, if you don't mind, uh, Anitra, I guess we'll start with you with some, some uh, since you're in charge of the money and, the, op- and the, the finance and how that money flows, maybe give the audience, the listening audience, a little bit of, a little bit of uh, flavor about how, how much goes into this. What are just some numbers? Because I think most people will find these numbers uh, staggering. Okay, absolutely. Uh, first, I'll start off with um, our budget. Our budget is about $28 million per year. Um, that makes up um, food cost, our payroll, and equipment. Um, we, we serve um, about 17,000 breakfasts per day on an average, and about 34,000 lunches per day on average. Um, our weekly payments to our vendors are quite <laughs> quite a lot of money, actually. Um, on average, it's about $287,000 per week during the regular school year. So that's for milk, um, food, groceries, and um, our fresh produce. ALEAF has right around 47,000 kids, and we're serving 17,000 breakfast every day and 34,000 Lunches. Lunches, correct. And, and, and if I'm reading some of your, your data correctly, on an annual basis, we're serving somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.8 million breakfasts in a given school year. Yes, and almost 6, 000, 6 million lunches. Well, I don't know what McDonald's does on, <laughs> <laughs> on, on, a, on a yearly basis, but uh, I promise you they're not nearly that, that capacity. Um, Heather, you're, you're, you've been in nutrition a long time and, and seen a lot come and go and, and things of I that have. nature. Talk a little bit about your, your, your role and, and kind of where you've seen the feeding of children go 
you know, and kind of where we are today. Right. So I've been in A-Leaf about 28 years, and it's changed tremendously. The free and reduced rate of our district has increased tremendously, um, and along with that comes big challenges. Um, would, you, would you talk about free and reduced, just because we're going to use that term a lot. Maybe let those who are listening that don't understand what that means or what 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 do we mean by free and reduced? The percentage of students who qualify for free and reduced in our district, it's based on the poverty poverty level, um, is about 86% today. I can remember years ago it was about 30%, so our challenges were very different right. then than they are compared to today. Um, the food that the student eats, because the demographics have changed tremendously over the years, we're consistently or constantly trying different things uh, to see what students will eat, doing taste testings with students, um, trying lots of fresh fruits and vegetables to see if we can get them to eat healthier foods um, and make better choices in the long run. Do, do you see that as a, from a professional perspective, do you see that as a responsibility of a, of a school district? I mean... When you, when you talk about, you, we, we try to attempt to change behaviors in the classroom, both behaviorally and academically. So you guys are attempting to change, in many cases, behaviors just to help kids take care of themselves. Right. When the Hung- Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act came into play in 2010, a lot of changes to our program were made. Um, lower fat items, whole grain items, low sodium items, and I think more fruits and vegetables. And I think that that has really helped over the last eight years our students um, be more educated on what they're picking up as they're coming through the serving line and hopefully telling their parents that's what they want them to buy at home. So what are, you, what are, we, what are we competing against as we're trying to educate kids and, and parents to some extent? What's, our, what's the competing factor out there? Right. All the fast food restaurants with their low costs and their dollar menus and... It's not even comparable to what we serve here. A chicken nugget may look the same here as it does at McDonald's, but a chicken nugget at McDonald's has been fried. It's higher in fat, higher in sodium to make them taste good. Um, And that's unfortunately what a lot of parents are buying for their students after school and on the weekends. Uh, They're lower cost items than fresh fruits and vegetables and the lower fat and sodium choices. So unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with. It's expensive to be healthy. It is. So the education part is huge for us. We work with the wellness supervisor and coordinator in the district um, to do school gardens, to do nutrition education, to do fresh fruit taste testings with the students, and hopefully in the long run that will make them make better choices. Good. Veronica, you're kind of involved in the day-to-day operations Mm -hmm. of a a school cafeteria, right? Right. Talk about it from the, the... the men and women who work in, in our schools and our cafeterias and what their responsibilities are and how they, the, the challenges that they have to deal with. And, and I, there's no way this audience can ever understand, unless they've worked in one, can ever understand the complexities of just serving food to school children. Right. Our customers um, range in age from 3 to 18. And so our issue that we have sometimes is with exposure a lot of times our children um, have never seen the item. Aleaf is a very diverse um, community. And so we try to give options that the children would like that are popular that um, would fit the needs of any student in Aleaf. So our employees every day deal with, um, you know, trying to educate the children, trying to get them to try different things. A lot of times when they try something they never tried before, 
they find that they like it. Um, they're happy. They're excited. Um, the cashiers and, and servers, they're also excited because they got the child to try something they normally wouldn't try. And it's just exposure, just exposing the children to different fruits or vegetables or different entree items that they probably don't have at home. And we just have a passion. Um, we love what we do. Um, we enjoy the children. Some of the times um, our employees see them grow up from being uh, in pre-K to high school and are able to see the changes in their eating habits, things that they've never tried before. So it's, it's a, a love. We love what we do. Well, it's obvious. Uh, I've, I've been in those cafeterias and, <clears throat> and tried to work in one one time. And <laughs> <laughs> I think I failed every health code there was, <laughs> there was to fail. You're... you're uh, the amount of accounting, the amount of how do we, just for the so the audience can understand how, how do how do children pay for these? Anitra, how, do, how does a child who who pays for for lunch do do they bring money? Do they, I mean, do they have accounts? I mean, talk talk a little bit about that and how you have to manage that from campus to campus. Okay, well, each student you know has an account. Um, they can pay by cash in their account. We also um, have our software that we use in our cafeterias that offers um, a module called School Cafe. And the parents could go online, set up accounts for their students, and prepay for their lunches. So, but really the, the big issue is that most of our children are approved for free and reduced lunch. Breakfast is free for all, and then lunch is free. The paid students do pay a dollar for lunch, which is very, very, um, you know, competitive among school districts. It's a very, very low, um, affordable rate. Yeah, the the, the leaf dollar meal is a little different than mm-hmm. the right. Burger King dollar meal, right? right. Which right. was the point right. Heather was making yeah. earlier. So, with, with with this in mind, uh, with the the free and reduced population that we have, which tells us a lot. It just doesn't tell us about poverty. It tells us about backgrounds and, and experiences or lack of. Uh, Heather, have you, where, where do you see y'all's role, your department's role in the, in the academic behavior of children, which I think is a huge component that a lot of people don't realize? Right. I think we try to provide the most nutritious meals so these students to support their learning. I think with a hungry stomach, a student cannot sit at their desk and try to concentrate on what they're learning. They have to be full, and they have to be full on nutritious foods, the proteins, the carbohydrates, and the fruits and vegetables that they need. Um, I think we we do serve a lot of name brand food that kids would recognize. However, it's a little bit different than what they see in the grocery store uh, because it's a different formulation to meet our guidelines. Also, anything that's sold in schools under Smart Snacks, they call Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, has a Smart Snack component. So anything sold to students during the school day, whether it's from us or anyone else in the school, has to meet these strict guidelines and regulations, whether it's a beverage or a food. And those are all good for kids. Um, as I said before, the school gardens, we have, I th- believe, six school gardens this year. Um, we also do a seed-to-plate program where the students learn. This is at one of our elementary schools. They grow things in the garden, and then they taste them in class and make different recipes. We've even served some of those items to the school board. Mm-hmm. Um, so kids are learning. We have some other programs in our schools, um, a Brighter Bites program that some schools are involved in, um, and that's provided through the food bank, fresh fruits and vegetables for parents to come and get with 
recipes that they can learn to try new things at home. And the kids really encourage their parents to try those things. So it's a good program. Talk, talk about the, you had mentioned earlier, or Veronica may have mentioned, the, the changing of the, of, the, of the diet, if you will. Going back to 2010, there was a pretty significant shift when, uh, with President Obama and, and First Lady Obama when she was First Lady. And, you know, some of the meals, and I'll just tell you, you know, some of the food that we were introducing to kids, particularly kids who are not coming from this type of experience, mm-hmm. they just looked at it, right? I mean, right. whether it was broccoli or some fruit or vegetable or lack of sodium or whatever it is. Talk about how you've seen changes in kids, not necessarily their appetites, but their their willingness to to try some of these foods or these meals that that, uh, that they otherwise were, were never exposed to. Well, and students coming from different countries sometimes don't recognize a hamburger patty or a chicken nugget patty, and we've had to even put pictures in front of those items of a chicken or of a, a cow so that they can identify some of those items. Some of the students didn't even know what fresh pineapple looked like because they're used to getting it out of a can. So as Veronica said, we try to do as many taste testings and expose the students to as much as we can. Um, We do even have students participate in our taste testing when we do bids for new products. Yeah. Um, And that's very important. We have a lot of our high school kids in particular come and taste those products because they can rate those a little more efficiently than some of the smaller kids. Smaller kids do test them too. Um, But it is a challenge for our district, as diverse as we are, um, to get kids to recognize even the items that we have on the serving line every day. As Veronica said, our employees are very persuasive sometimes to get kids to at least taste them um, because once they taste it, a lot of times they like it. I remember years ago, I was at one of our elementary schools when we served yogurt for the first time and the kids were just, they were taking it, but they were sitting at the tables. They didn't know what it was because they hadn't had it at home. So I went out and encouraged them to open it and try it. And now it's one of our more popular items on the menu. So that exposure and teaching them does help and encouraging them to open something and try it. Veronica, what do what educational things have you guys done over the years to try to educate students to, just like Heather was saying, you've got a lot of kids that didn't even know what a thing of yogurt was. What, how do you all go about educating these different, diverse, uh, different cultures and different backgrounds that come into our country and not even, I can't imagine not knowing what a hamburger is. Right. You know, just, or, or a chicken nugget, well, I guess a chicken nugget, it could be anything, Right. Well, we work with the health tech teachers in the classrooms, and they do taste testings where there's an education piece involved where they will talk about the nutrients in a certain item and why you should select that item and different things you can do with that item. A lot of times if they just see the item cooked in one form, they're not aware that, yes, we may steam the green beans here, but you can add different things at home or you can eat it other ways that they're not aware of that they may eat and actually like it. And going back to the change um, that I've seen since I've been here, when I first came here, um, students would often choose like a burger and a milk, and that would be their lunch. And now they're choosing um, not only one vegetable or fruit, but multiple or the full tray. Um, And they're enjoying it and eating most of their items on that tray. So that is, to me, is a positive change where kids are understanding that a well-balanced meal is not just a burger and a milk, but it will involve eating some form of fruit or vegetable, whether it's fresh, canned, steamed, um, some form of vegetable or fruit. It's just like my parents used to tell me, eat your vegetables, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> eat your vegetables. And the, uh, 
you know, you mentioned, uh, Heather, I think you mentioned some of the programs some of our schools are, are doing where you have kids growing their own garden gardens. And talk about, or whoever's most versed in that, kind of talk about some of those initiatives and, and how we're encouraging kids that, to be honest with you, they're not growing gardens at home and they're 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 probably not exposed to that part of of uh, of, of life. So, how are we encouraging and, and and what's our ultimate goal there? Are we looking to to expand that to as many schools as possible, or what? Just what's the thought behind that? And we have expanded. We had two gardens, I believe, last year, and this year there are six. Um, two of the gardens, some of our, two of the gardens, our supervisors are involved in. Some of the other health tech teachers at the schools or science teachers are teaching that as part of a lesson, right. a science lesson. Um, but we do want them to see when you plant a seed, this is what comes from it. So eating foods at that raw state are what's most, most healthy for kids. And that's what we want them to learn because a lot of times when you're in a city, you don't see that as someone in the country would where we're growing all of our own. So that's very important to us. And that's, that's really the goal to get them to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, one of the parts of the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act is that a student has to take a fruit or a vegetable with their meal for us to claim it as a meal. Um, and that took some getting used to. As Veronica said, they used to take a hamburger and milk, and now they have to take a fruit or a vegetable. And we have to encourage them to taste that because that's the whole reason behind that. Um, another thing that stu- a misconception that students have is that they have to take milk. They don't necessarily have to take milk but they do have to take a fruit or a vegetable. <laughs> um, so there are a lot of misconceptions out there. And, and going back to the taste of the food, um, it's a learned taste for students. And after eight years, the first graders or kindergartners should now be learning that this is, you know, what their ta- a taste that's acquired now. So anything that they taste that does have full sodium probably tastes too salty to them now. So it's just going to take time to change the population in the way they think. Well, there's never been – I mean, I, I think it's just become kind of a, a, a ritual to complain about school food, right? I mean, it's just part of the part of the thing. I, did, mm-hmm. I, I meet with a – I have a group of students, a student advisory committee every year, and as you all know, it used to be. When I first started doing this, they used to always – when they when I ask them, what do you want to talk about? What's on your mind? What It used to be, you know, well, can we talk about school food? Uh, it doesn't come up that often anymore, you know. That's good. And even when it did – uh, when you or your predecessor, y'all would come in and explain what you're doing, why you're doing it, and, and, and how you're doing it. A lot of them would say, okay, I get it. still don't like the food, but I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I get it. Um, so we're going we're gonna to pivot just a little bit. I, I want to go back to the, to the money part of this because this is okay. an expensive operation. Um, you, you mentioned earlier, Nietzsche, that there are some students, we don't have many, but we have some that do pay, the, that pay for their lunch a dollar or could, could you put into perspective, like, say a high school kid, uh, if he or she walks through the line and they qualified under the free and reduced program, obviously we're not we're not singling them out. You know, they can enter a code, which would obviously correct recognize them in the situation. But how does the process work from there? Child gets his food or her food, they eat. We have to account for that, turn it in. Could you talk about the bureaucracy a little bit of... of what it goes, what we have to go through, or what you have to go through, trying to get reimbursed for correct for that meal. Yes, there's an extensive um, things that we have to go through in order to account for all this. The student will go through the line, um, it's rung up by their their um, account number, 
and uh, and it is confidential. So our software um, does consolidate um, all the meals, breakfast and lunch, and snacks served by the category by uh, free, reduced, and paid. Um, at the end of the month, we consolidate all the numbers, and we file um, our reimbursement claim with uh, the Texas Department of Agriculture, who is the coordinates the the school lunch program um, in Texas. And um, so we, we file that and we get our reimbursement from them. So the, the, the money from the federal government flows to the Texas Department of Agriculture? And then flows into the and districts. Then, and then we ask for it? Correct. A, a district asks for it? And, Correct, okay. through our claim. This is just a question for people who may think uh, or a perception that they may have in, in terms of the food service budget. Is it a money-making profit-making adventure in some cases, and and if so, which, what, do, what do we do with the, the profits, if you will, or the additional revenue that you have at the end of any given fiscal year? Well, I think we're all very proud of, of our department because we are totally self-supporting. We, um, we do turn a profit. Um, we, whenever we, um, we are limited as to how much we can keep in our fund, we have to put money back into the program. So we can, um, you know, use that in um, upgrading food choices and purchasing new equipment, um, you know, things that will improve the quality of our food and um, improve the efficiency of our, of our department. And, and I think that's important for a, any taxpayer listening to this because uh, the equipment that you guys use is expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very in it, in it, and you, you know, you, some of it we get as much mileage out of it as we can, but but it's it's being replaced consistently, and and from a technical perspective, the the Aleve taxpayer is not having to pay for that every right every right. year. Is that is that right? That's correct. That and is we, correct. We spend two or three hundred thousand dollars a year to replace equipment because some of our kitchens are old and they've had that equipment quite a while, so we replace it every year, whatever's getting near the end of its useful right. life, we're replacing that. Um, but we are very proud, as Anitra said, to be a self-sufficient department and not have to depend on the general fund for any money. And it takes a lot of hard work. It takes all these ladies and every employee in our department to make that happen. Um, another aspect, when Anitra was talking about our POS system, our cash register system in the schools, we use that also to identify students who have special diet needs. Um, we have about 360 special diets in the district, and we handle those with critical care because we cannot serve a student something that they cannot have. Um, so our employees in the kitchen, our special our special diet person who's a registered dietitian writes diets for those 360 students, and then they upload a note into the computer system. So when a student comes through the serving line, we have to get the special food for the line. We have two people check the food so we don't have any mishaps. So we're very careful on how we handle those, but that's another way that we use our, our cash register system. So you said 360 or so? Correct. Unique special diets mm-hmm. that, and I, Veronica, could you give me some examples? Or, I mean, I, I would assume some are as severe as potentially death or mm-hmm. all the way to just makes me sneeze or cough. Yeah, some of the food has to be pureed or it would have to be um, chopped. Um, maybe a child has a certain menu where they can only have so many proteins over the week, those type of things. The doctor orders the item. Um, the child has a certain disability, and we accommodate that. It blows my mind. I mean, so you got all the typical nuts and 
those allergies or those aller- I mean, and then you got serious really. Well, not we those do. aren't serious, mm-hmm. but then you have serious. Mm-hmm. We do with pureeing and tube feeding. Yeah. Uh, we puree it, and then the specialist with the student are the ones who actually feed them. But we have to be very careful with cross-contamination, too, because if somebody has a peanut allergy, yep. we have to make sure all that's prepared separately from any item that might have peanuts. So it's we do, as Veronica said, take it very seriously, and our, our people in the kitchens really take it seriously to protect these students. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking life and death in some cases, mm-hmm. which absolutely sounds a little dramatic, but it's the truth. It is. So there, there's a, a lot of different other meals that, we serve, that y'all serve students and, and faculty in some cases. Could you talk about summer school and all the other types of opportunities that, that we are offering children and in some cases just community members? Uh, Veronica, you want to talk about that a little bit? Just mm-hmm. It goes well beyond the school year that you guys are operating and, and serving food, preparing and serving food. In the summer, we have a summer feeding program where we feed anyone in the community up to age 18 a free breakfast and lunch regardless of their status. We also send meals out when kids go on field trips um, throughout the day. Um, they can have their lunch um, without having to worry about having money if they're free or reduced. Um, we do an after-school snack um, program every day um, at the campuses that have signed up for that where the kid gets a um, super snack. So it's not just a cracker or milk, but it's actually a sustainable item because sometimes um, the meal that the kid eats here in the district is the only meal that they'll have and they won't have another meal until they return the next day. So we try to make sure every day that we've given them everything that we can so that if they don't have a meal when they go home, there is um, food when they come the next day. Talk talk about that issue, just the delicate issue of, of in many cases, the food that children eat from from you guys is the only well, it may not be the only meal. It will be the only nutritious meal. Yeah. In some cases, the only filling meal. Is that right? And you see examples of that at all age levels. All? Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's seen. I've seen it firsthand. Um, where a child comes in and they get their tray and they're asking other children if they're going to eat their food, um, or if they can have, you know, um, three or four servings and things like that. So we do see it. I mean, Aleph is a very diverse um, community. Um, like Anitra was saying, um, the majority of the students um, are on free or reduced, um, so that impacts their whole household as far as being able to provide food for their children. So that's why it's very important for us to make sure when they go on the field trips or events that we send a lunch and also have the summer feeding program where we can feed them in the summer. Um, A lot of times in the summer, um, we don't get as many community kids that we would like to get. A lot of the issues is that in Ailey, there's a lot of apartment complexes. Um, Maybe parents are at work um, and they just don't feel like, you know, they want their child to go have a meal during the day. So that's some of the challenges that we have with that is that um, parents are working or not at home or the children just doesn't want to come or whatever. I, I think the the broader conversation about public education and, and, and just educating kids across across the state, but, but in particular in your, your large urban areas, of how much, how, how important food is. I mean, we take for granted. I mean, most people, and we take for granted the, the meals and where they're going to come from, and and we use those meals to energize us through our day. And and for us to expect a seven-year-old little boy, little girl, to come from some home that they may have not eaten since the last lunch they ate at, at school, 
and the expectation for them to come into school ready to learn is, as you mentioned earlier, is just, it's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 the men and women who serve breakfast, I would, I would think that you would, the conversations you have with them, in many cases, they may be the first bright-eyed, smiling face they see if they didn't ride the school bus. Right. They are absolutely. Sometimes, as you said, the last meal they get in the afternoon and the first meal they get the next morning. So our employees are on the forefront of welcoming these students in and getting them to eat a nutritious meal so they can learn. Um, unfortunately, as Veronica said, some of them don't see an adult. I mean, they may get themselves up and get themselves to school in the morning. Um, so it's very important to them when they get there that they see a smiling, friendly face that can set the tone for their whole day. Some of our employees, during the um, when they serve the children, the children will talk about their day, their projects, homework. Um, they're just so excited sometimes to see the, the employees because they have a good relationship. There are a lot of positive relationships between the server or the cashier and the student. Um, like I said earlier, they um, get to see them grow up. Um, sometimes they come back and visit us and say, oh, I remember you. You were the lunch lady. Um, when I, <laughs> I remember yeah. the roles. Yeah. They do. I'm telling you, I'm 54 and I remember those they roles. Do. So it's very rewarding for us to see um, that we're feeding the children, they're getting a well-balanced meal, and they're actually enjoying it. The um, company right. that we provide. Do, do you know how many employees you guys have? I believe roughly? We, we have uh, at least 400 yeah, employees. Yeah, 425. <laughs> so over 400 men and women working in some capacity, the vast majority obviously in our schools, mm-hmm. serving and preparing. And so that's a pretty big operation. Talk a little bit about the, the, the training that you give a new employee. You know, you don't have to go into detail, but what type of skills must they have? And then what, what are the non-negotiables that we expect out of, a, out of someone? Well, I mean, we have very different level employees because we have a nutrition warehouse where we have drivers, some of which have to have a CDL license, so that requires a different set of requirements. Um, We have employees in the schools. The state of Texas now mandates that every food handler have a food handler certificate. So every one of our employees has to take take and pass a test to serve safe food. And then our managers have to have a manager certification to be in charge of those kitchens and make sure all that's happening properly. and the preparation for those exams we prepare. So if you're getting ready to hire someone, you would we kind of coach them up to? We do. We do it while they're here. They're hired, and then they take the test okay. online. Um, so they have to pass, take and pass that test to be able to work in the kitchens. Uh, we have to make sure that the food we serve is safe. With all the food recalls we hear about and temperature violations, we just have to make sure everybody's educated in that area. And that's a difficult task right. when you look at our population of students, it's also our population of employees where English is not the first language of several employees. So it's a task to get everyone qualified to do this job. Most of what I was going to say is just that we do provide training, um, not just when they're hired, but we provide monthly training to employees. We retrain. We do hands-on training, videos. Um, So we try to make sure our employees have all the tools that they can so they can be very successful. Um, And we take pride in that. The men and women that I come into contact with in our schools are serving. Uh, I'm amazed at how happy they are. They're 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 having fun, and and it's a good thing because you don't want to be in a situation where you're not enjoying yourself. And if you don't like kids, this is not the it's not right. the right place to be. You <laughs> may like food, but you got to like food and kids. And Everybody <laughs> likes food. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nobody nobody does doesn't like food. Right. Uh, well, I want to. We're going to wrap this up, but there's one important topic that that we hadn't talked about that I think is 
and, it, and this goes to the protection where you're trying to protect. Talk about the compliance components that that a that a department like yours has to has to fall under, and and the and, and maybe just a brief description of what that looks like when they come in here to do their audit and right. Uh, you know, they're tasting your every little sample of food and all that. Just talk talk a little about that. What that looks like because I don't think the general population has a clue. Right, the compliance section of our job is huge because we're uh, governed by TDA and USDA. Uh, we get updates twice a month from them, as well as a manual that we have that we have to go by for all the rules that govern our program, whether it's the amount of sodium in a meal over the week, um, the amount of dark green leafy vegetables they have, orange vegetables that they have, uh, the financial end of it. The financial aspect is huge when they come to audit us. We get a administrative review from the state every three years. used to be every five years. Now it's every three years. They look at everything that we do to make sure that every aspect of our job is done correctly, whether it's what we're putting out on the serving line, how many servings we put out, how many we had left, how many students we served that day. Um, then they go and look at our bids and our, make sure all the bid requirements are met. They look at all the claims and make sure all the claim requirements are accurate. Uh, to the T. They want it done perfectly every time. So it is huge. It's a huge operation um, to make sure everything's done. On our last audit, we had no findings, so that was a great audit for us. It's incredible. Uh, that's incredible. The men and women of our department made that happen because not one of us can make that happen. Everybody so, played a role. So if you do the math, and it's dangerous to do math in public, but, but if you do the math over two or three years, if you're going to get audited every three years, then You've served somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't know, 15 million to 20 million meals mm-hmm. of some sort, and they, have, and they can't find anything wrong. And it's not like they came down here not looking for something. Right. They, they feel bad when they don't find something wrong. So, uh, yeah, credit goes to, the, obviously, you three, but, but the, field, the folks in the field and in our schools. Absolutely. Um, I can't, I, 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 before we go, I, I want to, make sure that whoever's listening to this understands a point that we addressed earlier. And that's, you know, a school district's mission is to educate kids, right? I mean, that's, that's our, that's why we're here. And it used to be a long time ago. uh, Our only mission was to educate them. That was it. It wasn't to feed them. It wasn't to transport them. It wasn't to teach them manners or it wasn't, it was, that was all part of the home responsibility or the local churches or the community. Well, obviously, that has evolved. I mean, we're, we're to the point now where we're, in many cases, we're, we're close to raising kids. And part of the raising and part of the preparing for them to be successful in our mission of education, one area that never gets mentioned nearly enough is the nutrition side of it. It doesn't. I mean, it's not a part. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about as we, as in our, in our district, as we look at our priorities and our core beliefs and our commitments and things of that nature, it all evolves around the product that we graduate and we don't take nearly enough time to where can we improve in nutrition? Cause that's what drives, you know, not to, to it's the fuel, it's the energy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to it be, is energy for the mind. To, yeah. To mm-hmm. use a, a commonly used term in, in your field. So uh, it, it's appreciated. Well, we're very proud to be able to do what we do and support the learning for our students. And I, and I hope y'all recognize that. I mean, I hope, Thank I, hope, you. I hope you see that. Uh, it's like anyone else who works, you know, in support roles. Sometimes they're wondering what they're, they know what they're doing. They just wonder what the impact is, right? 
Well, y'all, y'all, y'all have a significant impact. Significant. Thank you. you thank your, you. And you and your entire team. So thank you very much. Thank you for thank having you. us thank again. Thank you for having us. Is there, is there anything that we have not said about nutrition that you want to say? Anything? Have we missed anything? Veronica, no. you sure? No. Yeah, you <laughs> said sure. Said it all. Said it all. <laughs> all righty. Well, that was, that, was, uh, that was extremely enlightening. I appreciate you guys. Thank you thank very you. much. I really do. Staying consistent with our topic of, of nutrition and feeding uh, not only our school children uh, here in A-Leaf, but also just the, the general community. Um, we have Miss Brenda Smith, who is the executive director of My Brother's Keeper. And uh, we thought it was extremely important and extremely fitting to, to ask her to join us for a little while and talk a little bit about My Brother's Keeper, the organization, obviously her role in leading that organization, uh, but more importantly, the, the role they have played in the last 10, 12 years in helping provide food, meals for, for our, our students, whether it was in a time of, of tragedy like, like Hurricane Harvey or other issues or just, you know, with a fire. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of things going on in our community. So, uh, Brenda, thank you for being here. And uh, I really do appreciate what you, uh, what you have done for our, for our community and, and your organization but uh, but more than that, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having us today. Uh, talk just to, if you don't mind. I mean, I think a lot of most of us have heard of my brother's keeper. But talk a little bit about the origin of it, and 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 then specifically in this area, how how you've come to be involved in it and the growth of it, and and just let the the listening audience have a feel for what what you guys do. Okay, thank you. We are an emergency needs based center that was started by Renee Nelson Johnson over 20 years ago. She started this ministry in her home, helping women, children, and infants in need. From that, my brother's keeper outreach center. We've held three different locations in the A Leaf area, so we've been in A Leaf now for over 12 years. Most recently, we're at Bissonette and Derry Ashford, right in front of Mata, so we sit right in the A-Leaf area. Okay. We service both Harris and Fort Bend counties. So you're, 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 the organization, My Brother's Keeper, is it, uh, is it a chain of others, or is, it a, or is this the only one that's in this area? It is not. We are the only one located in this area. There is another initiative called My Brother's Keeper that, Mayor Turner mm -hmm. is involved with, but we have the name first. Okay. <laughs> so you're going to so, get, get credit for it. Yes. So we are actually an outreach center. Perfect. And I, and that's, I think that's a, a, a distinction that we want to make uh, for people who may have heard of My Brother's Keeper, but in the other context, because uh, this is about an outreach to help people in need. Yes, that's correct. Uh, you're, t talk about the 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 typical types of needs that come to you guys. Uh, obviously, things like Hurricane Harvey and these big, big events get everyone's attention. But there's also the day-to-day -day issues that people have that you attempt to address. Could you talk about that and and, and what you're attempting to do and, and the magnitude of that? Sure. On a normal basis, we provide um, approximately two, two and a half weeks of groceries to about 42,000 individuals in a year. It's both perishable and non-perishable foods that we provide. Clients are able to come to our center once in a 30-day period. And so the groceries that they receive are according to the myplate.gov guidelines, which is fresh fruits, vegetables, uh, proteins, and um, 
whole grains, dairies, and fats. So we uh, also provide menus uh, for families to go by in preparing the foods that we give to them. Dishes that they can try. Maybe they've not tried this particular item before. So we provide those as well just for them to try something different. So so do you, do y'all do or provide other types of services other than just meals or food? Do y'all do y'all help in other areas? We do. We are an emergency needs based center, providing financial assistance when we have funds available. Whether there's a, a, an emergency such as a fire or a, some other tragedy, we try to help in any way we can. And you probably have plenty of business. <laughs> Absolutely, we do. Do you do you? Um, where does your funding come from? Do y'all do y'all fundraise? Do you raise funds? How does that work? We survive through donations and some grants. So you're um, you're open for donations from individuals, and you are you applying for grants just wherever you can find them, or are they state grants, federal grant grants? We do provide um, you know solicit grants through. Um, other agencies. We are a member of ACAM, which is the Association of Community Assistance Ministries. We are um, with United Way, and then individual donors fund us as well. Okay. So, as I was as I was visiting with the uh, A Leaf uh, Nutrition Leadership earlier, uh, one of the things that some people don't realize is is how much work goes into not only providing meals for the school day, but providing meals in, in addition to that during the summertime. Talk about how you guys have worked with our school district as kind of a conduit, if you will, for getting meals to some of our students, some of our families and our communities during non-school hours or non-school days. Sure. To supplement what the school districts are doing over the summer for summer lunch, we also provide a summer lunch program In April, we begin our registration for our summer lunch program, and it's designed for the parent that works, but the children are not able to make it to the school to receive that lunch. Uh, The mom and dad has to pick up the lunch groceries from us every Monday. The summer lunch consists of an entree of fruit, juice, snack, and a freeze pop for the children for five days a week. It's an easy-to-prepare meal that we provide so that a babysitter or a teenager can prepare it for the kids. And each year we normally uh, serve approximately 60 students and, that are registered for our summer lunch program. And, and 60 is a, a drop in the bucket to our total population. Yes, it is. And uh, I'm sure y'all would like to feed a lot more if, uh, if, uh, if, if they were there, if they were coming, correct? Absolutely, we would. So we, you know, on, our, on, our, on the district's part, we're probably going to try to look at ways we can encourage or uh, make kids aware, make families aware of this in a, on a broader range. But but as we mentioned earlier, with the again, with the A-Leaf leadership team, um, sometimes a lot of where the kids live and access and getting there runs into the kind of causes a problem. Is, is that what y'all find? Is it We've seen that quite a bit, and um, we utilize communities and school to try to get the word out to the parents right. so that they can register the kids. Good. So as we sit here today, what, what are y'all's needs right now? Are you're, we're getting ready to go into a, you know, Christmas season, or we're in the middle of Christmas season. 
what what are, what are the where do you see the needs now? Right now, we are in the middle of toys and bikes for the Christmas uh, donation drive that we have. We'll distribute that uh, this weekend. As a matter of fact, we are always in need of volunteers. We are open um, three days a week. We're open Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we're staffed totally by volunteers. So there's always a need to have groups come in to help us out um, this weekend with wrapping gifts, with distributing the the presents on Sunday, and then any um, other programs that we run during the week. So we have volunteer groups that come and help us out from the school districts. How would someone reach out to you or to your organization if they did want to participate? Um, Our number at My Brother's Keeper is 281-498-9933, and our website is mybkoutreach.org. On that website, it has a what's called our virtual pantry, so that if someone wants to donate food items, it tells what items we're in need of at that time. Okay, so if if you're listening to this and you're in the uh, Ailey area or the, even the greater Houston area and you want to participate in a good cause, being being led by great people, just trying to help in their community, uh, I would encourage you to uh, to uh, to reach out uh, to my brother's keeper here in the Ailey area and, and and figure out how can you get involved to help and be part of the part of the solution. Because Brenda, as you know, uh, there are some as, as, as the school knows, there's some families that are getting the on, their only meals from you guys. Or in some cases, there's children that won't have a Christmas without the work of your donors and your your volunteers. And so uh, um, we appreciate everything you've done and everything your organization is doing as it relates to not only feeding our children, but just trying to make our, our community a better place for these children to live and grow up and hopefully have an edu- uh, receive an education that can turn them and maybe change the trajectory of their of their life. We certainly understand the value of an education, and we try to do all that we can to augment what you're doing in the school system. Well, that's it takes all of us, right? Absolutely, it does. And so, uh, well, like I said, we appreciate everything that my brother's keeper has done for us. And and again, if you're out there and you want to donate, and you or if you want to contribute and you want to volunteer to a great cause. Uh, don't only not only do it during this season, but do it every day of the of the year because these 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 families need your help. So, Brenda, thank you very much. Well, thank you for allowing us to tell our story today. Is there anything that you'd like to say that you haven't had a chance to say that from from your from your organization's perspective? Well, one thing that we'd like to uh, let people know that we do provide nutritional classes as well during the year. We have an eight-week chronic uh, self-management, chronic disease self-management class where we teach nutrition and uh, healthy lifestyle. So, there you go. Not only eating, but just living right. Absolutely right. Which a lot of us could, uh, we could use that, right? All right. Well, thank you again, Brenda. This has been HD Chambers with Impact Ed, and we appreciate you joining us today as we've talked about the Ailey Independent School District's nutrition department as well as my brother's keeper and the role that they have played in trying to help our community have a a more well-balanced meal and in some cases the, the only meal they may have thank you again and look forward to the next episode